Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. Hello to anyone who's listening to this asynchronously uh, on the Temple Beth Am podcast. We're delighted to study together. We are halfway through um, a Rashi on verse 28, chapter 7, verse 28, uh, very close to the end of chapter 7. Um, let's read the verse to give us some momentum, and then we'll, uh, we'll, we won't do the Rashi we already did, which is just a two-word Rashi, but we'll jump into the next one. Okay, we are dealing with the threat of plague number two, right? So we're in an extended conversation between God and Moses. When you're in the conversation, you can get lost in the, in the layers of quotation marks, and you can think that we're already frogging. We're just predicting the frogging. And uh, the verse is, V'sharatz hayo'or tzfardi'im, that the river will swarm with frogs. V'alu uva'u b'beitecha, they will arise, they will come into your homes and into the places where you sleep, even upon your beds, in the houses of your servants. And we discussed is that servants, meaning like your courtiers or other slaves that you have enslaved. That wonder, wonderful way in which the word, the root of it goes back and forth, particularly in this set of narratives. Uh, and amongst your people. Hey, Hector. I think, I, I think everything's good, yeah. People want coffee? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Okay. Uva tanarecha, uva pan your ovens, uva misharotecha. The places where your 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 dough baskets, where uh, where chametz is made, okay. And there was a first Rashi on that on the word alu, which we spent some time on. Why did we have to uh, hear that they came up? Where did they come up from? Rashi said they came up from the river. We discussed whether that is or is not an obvious thing to say. And now we're on the phrase bevetecha, okay. And you know, I think we've discussed this many times that the uh, the dibure hamat chil, the words that appear in an edition of Rashi from the verse upon which Rashi is commenting are almost certainly ex post facto. They are, they've been mostly um, canonized, but they were probably guessed at over the centuries and the original editions of Rashi didn't have them, which means it's not necessarily the word or only the words that are in bold that Rashi is commenting on. I would think here that based on what he's about to say that Rashi is commenting not just on the phrase bevetecha in your home, um, but rather on the on the progression of where the frog is to come, the, your home, and then the places where you sleep, and eventually to all of your people. Um, but we don't, we don't know that for sure. Rashi doesn't actually include that. Um, okay, so let's read Bebe Techa. Uh, Leonard, we haven't heard from you in a while. You want to read Bebe Techa? Mm. And make sure that microphone is by your face. Which verse are we? We are the second Rashi on verse 28. The first Rashi was on the word Alu. Okay. Rebecca, you just move the mic closer to him. Thanks. 
הוא התחיל בעצה תחילה ויאמר Okay, this is a very terse Rashi. There's a lot of words we've got to kind of fill in as we're filling out the idea. So he quotes, or someone assuming he's quoting the word Bevetecha in your home, and Rashi says, After that, uh, in the home of your servants. Right, and I would interpose, and only after that, right? As if Rashi's saying, the verse begins with, with God saying to Moses, to say to Pharaoh, that God said that the, um, that the frogs will appear in your home first, and only after they have kind of overtaken your home will they eventually get to Bevedabedecha, the houses of your courtiers. Why? So he began. Uh, what did he begin with? The plan to enslave Israel, it says here. Right. So who's the who besides Horton? Who's the who here in, in, in this sentence of Rashi? Pharaoh. Pharaoh. For it was Pharaoh, after all, who heal, who began, who initiated in that initial suggestion that he made to spare Egypt from, and this is not a coincidence, the concern about the swarming of the Israelites over Egypt, right? Now we're going to, they're going to experience their own swarm. And what did he say? So Rashi is quoting very, very briefly, and he said to his people, look, yeah, look, everyone has the book of Exodus in front of them. Look back to Exodus 1.9. I don't have to put that on the screen because if you've got this, you've got the whole book of Exodus. Look back to chapter one, verse nine. It's chapter one, verse eight, where we have the famous verse um, that there arose a king over Egypt who did not know Joseph and who began to see the Israelites as a threat. And where does all this trouble begin? By Yomer Alamo, he said to his people, right? His people didn't request of him. They didn't say, hey, we're nervous, Pharaoh. They didn't say, who are these foreigners, Pharaoh? He develops this anxiety inside of him the people of Israel are greater and stronger than us. And then the next phrase, let us deal wisely with them. So Rashi is saying he was concerned, not they. He was concerned on the, on the nation's behalf that Israel was going to become a swarm and take over. Therefore, the frogs, where are they going to start, Pharaoh? In your house, right? And they're going to start in your, and before they get to your courtiers who were, you know, to use Daniel Goldenhag's phrase about the Nazis, perhaps willing executioners, this idea began with you, Goldhagen, excuse me, not Goldenhag, Goldhagen, uh, this began with you, and so the swarm of the, of the frogs are going to begin with you as well, and then keep going, Umimenu. And from him is the beginning of the bad stuff, the right. punishment. Right, so since the terrible idea of this genocide began with you, uh, so will this swarm begin with you. It's interesting that Rashi doesn't read this back into the blood plague because maybe there weren't enough clues in the blood plague to suggest that somehow Pharaoh's water, like his faucet water, I know there weren't faucets then, but that his um, his palace water got bloody first because there wasn't a, a way into that in the verses, right? Midrash is both writing a creative sermon, but there needs to be an anchor. You can't just say out of nothing. Sometimes it seems like you can't, but you can't. But now he's got an opening. First it's Amcha, uh, Bevetecha, and only afterwards Beit Avadecha, and then Beamecha. 
So let's see if there are any reactions to that. Rosemary, let's get a microphone over here, please. Al Leonard, you keep one because you're going to be speaking again in a second. If we can bring that one down. Yeah, but even if you talk loud, they won't hear. I'll hear. I'll hear loudly. <laughs> Maybe we need like seven, 12 mics in this room. Okay. Yeah. It just reminds me of a Persian uh, it, um, idiom yeah. that they say whatever comes out of your mouth, it means curse, it will fall on your chest. Uh, Renee, were you saying you couldn't hear that? Could you hear that, Rick? Um, your microphone is fine. I think Rosemary's isn't on. Okay. I was it's, hearing her through too far from her mouth. No, yeah, I was hearing speaking, you see, like an inch from your mouth. That's very different than this, right? It's got to it's got to be right here. Yeah. Okay. Good. Anyone else? Barry. Hug the mic, Barry. I love you. <laughs> uh, on the subject of uh, who who is that cause? You're not hearing him? No, it's not working. Your microphone's uh, fine. It's just not associated. Were you it's hearing not. Leonard before? Yes, Leonard was fine. Leonard's mic was Isn't fine. This fun? Everybody's fine. I'm glad I went but... to rabbinical school. Okay, go ahead. Can, can, can you hear me now? I, I know. Yes, yes. I know. So on the subject, who's at cause for the frogs? Uh, Rashi is saying uh, Pharaoh's at cause for he, Pharaoh, started this off. But when you go back to the initial story here in uh, Shemot uh, chapter one, uh, after Joseph dies, uh, the basically the, the Israelites are swarming. And Pharaoh is responding to that. And uh, they begin to oppress the Israelites. And the more they oppress them, the whack a ball, the more they oppress them, the more they swarm. Now, that model is what we're going to see here with the frogs. That the more they attack the frogs, the more they're going to swarm? Yeah. All right, let's see how that plays out. Uh, any other reactions to this comment of Rashi? Okay. Yeah. Only that he didn't, he never, he never, he never made a comment originally on verse 1 9. About this? Yeah, about anything. Right. He was just quiet on the verse? He was quiet on the verse. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, sometimes it's fun to jump out of like the study itself and try to imagine the man and the experience he was having, the man Rashi and the experience he was having. And obviously has a command of the material that we can't even fathom. And it doesn't necessarily mean that he was able to or even felt that he had to cross-reference every comment he makes later in Tanakh to, to see if it lines up with what he did or did not say earlier. It's just an interesting thing to fantasize about. We'll never know. Like he, the, 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 Rashi lives not in prehistory, but in history. Right? He doesn't live in mythological history. He really did have an office somewhere in you know, Troy or Worms, wherever he was writing this. And he really was going through this and he, um, and he really was a, uh, a phenomenal scholar and an imperfect thinker as we all are. And we, and we, get, the, we get the pearls that are, that, are, that are the residue, but we don't necessarily know the process. Um, any others on this verse? Yes, Leonard. We need a you, mic again. Which one is the one that's working? Well, I'm speaking right now. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so Okay, so what I found interesting over here is it doesn't say that the frogs were swarming. It says that the yaor was swarming. Yeah, we we um 
we dealt with this a little bit last week, and also remember that this is that no one, nothing is swarming yet. This is the prediction of what will swarm. But right, the 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 subject of the verb sharat is not svardeya, but yaor. The the river is swarming with. I think even in English, it can go both ways, right? Can you use the word swarm both to dis, to describe the thing that is numerous and the thing that is filled with numerous things? I don't know, but apparently in Hebrew you can, right? That that and. And, and it's used both in Hebrew because there are other places in the Torah where, where the, the subject of the verb sharats is the thing that's numerous, by Yishwitsu, right? That they should become many. Doesn't Hebrew have a whole lot of noun verbs or one word, depending on context and how it's used, can be a noun and can be a verb? Mm hmm. Yeah. I know it's so frustrating, but it's more frustrating for the people on Zoom when they hear nothing. So if you're going to talk, I want to hear everything, but you got to move the microphone around. Okay. Okay. I don't think this really applies here, but it's also true that Rashi thought it was just one big frog. Wait, oh. No, but I meant Sharat, so it could be that he was thinking. You're leapfrogging to the next verse. Don't be a toad. Okay, let, um, let, with that in mind, with that in frog, uh, Leonard, you, you, got, you got a half a thing, so read the next verse, verse 29. Uh, Rabbi? Oh, yes, Hello? sorry, Rick. Hi, yeah, hi. Um, I just, in, in my Silverman edition, it has Sota 11a and then Exodus Rabba 10 um, in the English on that one, but it doesn't show in the Hebrew and then it shows for the next one. So um, I was just curious if, if Sota 11a or Exodus Rabba 10 added anything to uh, what we're talking about. Just, just a question. I mean, the simple answer to your question is yes. Rashi is always crafting a terse, concise, often synthesis of several rabbinic midrashim that appear in in the in the midrashic collections from the second to the sixth or seventh centuries, and we're getting sometimes mostly without attribute attribution, and sometimes with attribution, his boiling down of the main point. But right. but nearly every time, this is something that. Um, when Marshall's in our class, he loves to do nearly every time if you were to try to find the source of the Midrash that Rashi's quoting from, because he's usually not just taking this only from his own imagination, you'll find 50, 20 times as much material as what's going to appear in a Rashi commentary. Okay. Um, I, I just noticed that usually it lines up pretty well, uh, but here it didn't. So, but it, okay, that's fine. Uh, Hector, while you're here, is there a way to make rick louder so we can hear him better sure. okay thank you um okay uh leonard read verse 29 right, remember your parents telling you should never begin a sentence with the word and well that's not, that's not the case in the torah so we're clearly mid-thought not only the last verse, but and uh, well, and your people will cry. Ah uh, no, uvecha 
th- th- you would normally write this, uh, Leonard Amanhiru, as vav bet chaf sofit. Like it's the it's the cha ending of the preposition b, not uh, bocha, not kra. Although I, that's interesting that, that it looks like that. Okay. And uh, for you and your people and all of your servants, um, the frogs will go up. Right. And, and if we're really being precise, because that's going to help us understand Rashi's here, what does the preposition b mean? In. So if we wanted to translate this sentence, you know, as literally as possible would say, and not only will the frogs be in your home and in your ovens and in your kneading dough troughs, but they will be in you, in you and in your people and in all of your servants, that's where they will have arrived, okay? So you can just imagine the Midrashim we're about to be exposed to, okay? Um, Comments on the verse itself or look at the Rashi? Barry, let's give Barry the microphone. So just to be clear, uh, they, the frogs begin from the river, but what's, what's happening now is they're emerging from within all these other places. They're not only emerging from the river into the people, but now they're emerging from within the people. Well, something like that, and we'll see how, how Rashi reads it, and then we'll look at, at um, we'll, we'll make reference to some of the other Midrashim that Rashi's quoting from. Anyone else in the verse itself if we look at Rashi? Yes. I, I just Norm. Think a, Norm. No. I think it's a wonderful verse, and I can just imagine certain people with a frog literally inside them croaking. Yeah. And, you know, a seven-year-old might even get a kick out of it, but I have, you know, certain older people that I deal with who I think it would just be extremely hilarious for us but not to them do you remember like the um the urban legends when you were a kid that if you swallowed i don't know like an apple apple seed an apple tree would grow inside of you or that if you swallowed gum like you would never it would, it would never digest it so you know we think of those as like you know 20th century follies as if there was no such thing as silliness before the modern era but human beings have been silly since as long as they've been human beings and we're about to read something Silly, right? Trying to be, you know, connected to the verse in some way, but no doubt silly. Or it's certainly silly for us to take it in. Joanna, and then Renee, and then we'll look at the Rashi. Um, I'm noting that. Oh, can't in hear you, Joanne. Can you hear me now? Better. Yes. Thank you. Um, I'm noticing that in verse 29, the order of the progression changes. Right. So in verse 28, it's from the closest to the furthest, Pharaoh, then the servants, and then the people. And in 29, it changes. It's Pharaoh, and then to the people, and then to the servants. I had never noticed that before. What do you make of it? I don't know that I have a lot to make of it. <laughs> um, but okay, we will we will consider it noted. But that's very interesting because in right in two consecutive verses. Pharaoh always comes first, but the people and the, and the courtiers seem to be switched. Um, you going to respond to that, Larry? Oh, so then let me hear Renee and then Larry. I was just thinking that it's um, people often when people get sick and they get hoarse and stuff, and say, they say that they, they feel like they're, they have a frog in their throat. I, and I wonder if it, that expression kind of came about as a result of from here. I don't know if it came from here, but it's certainly evocative of that. Um, 
I would I would be surprised if it did, but you never know. The, the progression of idioms is really an interesting thing that's hard to sometimes un unravel. Larry? I have a preposition comment. First off, the question why the Torah spells Becha um, without a without a sofi. Right. Because it's confusing. But remember, prepositions are really hard to translate. So I don't think here it really means in. Right. And alter and um, Ezra, um, what's his name? Kaplan. Kaplan. Are you Kaplan? Have interesting translations. So um, alter says upon, and upon you, upon your people, and upon your slaves. But I, I love Kaplan's. Kaplan's, I think, hits it exactly on the mark. He says, um, sorry, he says, when the frogs emerge, they will be all over you, mm. your people and your officials. So the all over, I think, really can, conveys an image that maybe was the intended one. Uh, let's, let's compare some translations for a second. I'm going to share the screen. Um, okay. So uh, put this over there. Um, so this one is... Everett Fox, the Everett Fox, who uh, is usually my favorite translator, um, he doesn't do in, he does onto, right? So he he's basically avoiding the way Rashi is about to read it, and because onto is is a version of, of of all over, right? Onto your people, onto your onto you, onto all your servants. Okay. Safarius um, says on. What's that? Safarius says on. That's yeah, so JPS, sounds when you switch translation with verses, the frogs shall come up on you and on your people and all of your courtiers. That Christine um, says, into you and into your people and all your servants will the frogs ascend. Corin, the frogs shall come up both on thee and on thy people and on all thy servants. And the one that we said that we found recently, this Charles Kahana, he is going to go right with the direct preposition. The frog shall enter into your bodies and the bodies of your people and the bodies of all your official servants. And this is right. And this is one of many kind of frumish um, comment translations of the Torah that incorporate Rashi either directly or indirectly into their translation, right? So as if Rashi is, is not only correct, but he's so correct, we should actually understand the verse in its simplest shot the way Rashi did. So let's use that as an introduction to Rashi. Um, and uh, Leonard, please keep reading. All right, I just want you to know that uh, the frog in your throat comes from the 1800s. Ah, uh -huh. good. And it usually originally meant something different, but we don't have time for that. Okay, what, what am I doing? I'm sorry, what am I supposed to be doing here? Uh, the Rashi on Uvacha Uviamcha. Okay, Uvacha Uviamcha, but Toch Me'ehem. All right, and uh, amongst you and your people, in your intestines, and uh, they will enter and croak. Apparently. That's got to be a, uh, it's a great onomatopoeia, makarker, makarkarin sounds like, makar, you know, what a frog would do, right? So, so uh, this comes from several Midrashic sources. I want to show you one of them. I pulled it up one second. Yeah, okay, so I'm going to share the screen again. 
It's just one of many places. The, the more famous place it exists is in uh, a midrash, midrashic collection called Tana Debe Eliyahu, but uh, I'm showing you the one from Shemot Rabbah. Um, on the right side of the screen, oh, uh, Sue, can you just, or Tova, can you just move, <laughs> move Rick around? Like just click on that and move it so that the people in the room can see. So we can see the Shemot Rabbah. Yes. There you go. Okay. Perfect. Perfect. Okay. So Shmot Rabbah on the phrase Uvacha Uviamcha, the Midrash says, Paro Hitchil Ba'aberatchila. So first he's commenting, this is this is the Midrash kind of that we already dealt with, that this that the, the, the issues began with um Pharaoh, and therefore he's getting the one he's getting smashed first. Uh okay, yeah. So look where my where the cursor is. Can you see the cursor? Yeah. Um Amar Rabbi Acha, Rabbi Acha said, Uvacha, the word Uvacha, and in you, and that's how I have to translate it in English to make sense of the Midrash, Re'aya is proof, Shahaya Shote Mayim, that Pharaoh would drink water, Betipa'achat, and even when one drop, Yoredet Alibo, would kind of descend into his innards, it says hard here, but it means innards, Vena'asat Sfardea, each drop of water would become a frog. And would kind of like, Nivka <laughs> means almost like break apart there. I wonder if that means like explode into being or actually explode inside your, your uh, intestines. Yum. Rabbi Yochanan Amar, Rabbi Yochanan says something similar. Every place where there was any dust in the land. And there was even a drop of water there. Hayan Asat Sfardea. The water would become a frog. Interesting thing happening in the Midrash. First of all, it's connecting a little bit to the blood plague, where where it kind of comes from the water. Remember the conversation we had last week about the word ta'al um, or ya'alu, that they would come up. They came up from the water. There's there's like an interest in the Midrash to see all of the plagues as extending from the first one in that they come through water. It's not just that the first one water became blood, but here every drop of water becomes a frog. It's not just that the frog's coming out of nowhere. And also this image of them uh, croaking inside the body. The quote from Tana de Yahu, the Hayani Shma Kolan, Mitoch Kreisan Shal Mitzri, that you could hear their voices from inside the bellies of the Egyptians, okay? This is silly. This is, you know, trying to make sense of the precision of the preposition Bacha. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's, maybe it feels very good for the authors of the Midrash to imagine their adversaries with their bellies croaking with frogs, right? It's fun to make fun of the people who are oppressing you, even in retrospect. Norm and then Sue, let's get those people a microphone and we can get Sue's hers in advance. Without the... It seems like if there are a whole bunch of frogs, and they're literally all over people's bodies. It gets to the point where if somebody opens their mouth, a frog is likely to jump in. So mm. frogs, many frogs are quite small. Um, so I could well imagine frogs ending up inside people's mouths or throats. And it's not inconceivable. Some could get swallowed. Yeah. Um, although- Maybe this is where David Blaine gets his uh, magic from. You ever seen his, his magic trick? No. If, if you want to be amazed and and then almost throw up, uh, after this, Google David Blaine, B-L-A-I-N-E, swallow frog. Okay. Um, you, you're, you're, you're welcome. 
Uh, Sue? Me. Um, it, it, it makes me think of something kind of interesting about, well, about mosquitoes. A lot of things make me think about mosquitoes, but. Um, <laughs> mosquitoes, locusts. Well, the thing is, is that mosquitoes, I don't, you know, you guys know this, that they could, you can get mosquito larvae in like a bottle cap that has water in it. Mm. So, and then that mosquito larva is, um, you know, dangerous and it was for all time actually, um, historically was, you know, decimated populations and with illness and sickness. And, um, and it's pretty easy to swallow them too. And I'm not saying it's mosquitoes, but it's, it's, it, they may, it, it might be connected to this idea that, you know, larva or whatever it is of frogs can produce a, a illness and sickness and death and gross. And Right, and our, our ancestors, the great rabbis of blessed memory, what did they make of this shot of the story? Like, did they have the relationship that we have with it, which is like, wow, this is quite a story, and I'm really hard-pressed to take this as fact? Um, or did they say, the Torah says it happened, so it happened, well, how did it happen? And they have to almost figure out through the words and their understanding of their, their, their primitive understanding of science, how it can be that you can go from no frogs to frogs, right? Now, God is capable of anything, but they're, they're trying to imagine, did they, where did they come from? Did they, did they materialize in the air like, like in a Harry Potter scene? Did they come from somewhere? So this Midrash is saying, ah, it must be that in the water, right, that there's like, there's a, a miniature frog, and all of a sudden it grows more quickly than it normally does. They're trying to make sense of how this fantastical image could actually have come into being, either because they really believe it happened and they need to resolve that for themselves, or they're just trying to be um, comprehensive in their, in, their, in their treatment of the text, and we don't know. Um, you, uh, I see your hand, Stevie. Rick, is your hand up again or from before? I was just gonna ask if the verb ya'alu went with a bih, and how we normally translate that i was just looking around because we were worried we were concerned whether it was in or on so i was just going to ask if i mean the verb here the ya'alu yeah it, it, the verb ole can take several prepositions you know for it for intrans it's an intransitive verb um well, is it an intransitive verb? Yeah, it's an intransitive verb, and it can take several prepositions depending on the context. It's not one of those verbs that always takes a particular preposition. Stevie. Yeah, I think that their approach to the text is actually almost the opposite of what you just said, that they're looking at the, the story in the text is actually fairly simplistic, and, you know, there's, it's supernatural, but only a little bit, and their embellishment makes things much more fantastical. Mm. Um, and they're not trying to apply science to the text, but quite the opposite. They're trying to, you know, make the story more dramatic and more mm. impressive. And, and make the onslaught of onto Pharaoh more, more, more crazy, more overwhelming, more, yeah, more, worthy, of, <laughs> more worthy of Cecil B. DeMille. Thank you. Um, Joanna, and then Antova. So as we've been talking, I've been looking for an answer to the um, word order that I noticed, which I did not find. But um, I did find that a few commentators 
commented on the unusual spelling of Uvecha, and they see it as an interplay with the famous Midrash quoted in the Haggadah about um, Rabbi Yossi Haglili's interpretation of how many plagues there were, and that each plague was multiplied by five. Mm. That multiplication by five is indicated here, according to these commentators, by the he at the end of the word becha. Yeah, right. Thank you for that. The, the, there are two answers to the question I never, I never gave uh, to Larry before, why this becha is spelled that way. The first answer is because sometimes it's spelled that way. Right. The second answer is it's fodder for midrash, right? Maybe, maybe that hay is there to indicate a certain, uh, you know, something to do with the, the number five. But it's also because sometimes that's the way Torah, the Torah writes it. Uh, Tova and Stevie, or Stevie and Tova, you can battle it out. An arm wrestle. Um, I just uh, wanted to comment on your comment, uh, wondering uh, to what degree Rashi or his generation would have had this sort of challenge of uh, rationality or how believable is this? And I think there's probably more of a gap between us and Rashi in that period than we maybe realized because I think they would have had much more experience than we have of swarming undecipherable natural events. Mm. I mean, I can uh, think of one instance when we'd been in Sequoia and we'd been in a tour in Crystal Cave, which is a cave in Sequoia, we came out the entrance, which had gone in just an hour before, and we walked into a swarm of ladybugs. And I mean, a swarm dense enough that you were in danger of breathing them in. Mm. And that's not- Thanks for my nightmares tonight, Tola. Yeah, I appreciate it. But they were ladybugs that cute. Exactly. <laughs> Till they're in your, your, uh, your um, trachea. Yeah, it's, it, right. But it, it so, these people are closer to the earth. I mean, they're, they're more engaged in farming. They yeah. have more un incomprehensible and uncontrollable natural phenomena impede, you know, impinge on them. Yeah. We have more of those things under control and tend to think that we have control. Uh, so I, I think they would not have found it as unbelievable. Yeah. And they also had beliefs at the time that we would have found incredible to believe. Yeah. that they themselves held of, of things emerging inside your body. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's a helpful comment. And, and it's, I would add to it that it's not, not only the case that they were more exposed to the natural elements than we are, they also lacked the explanations that we sometimes ha have that doesn't make your experience of those ladybugs any less frightening in the moment, but you might understand. Like, when, like has anyone ever been caught when the cicadas come? Right? It's a pretty incredible thing when the cicadas descend, but we know the rhythm now. We know how often they come. We, and I wouldn't want to be a part of it, but it, it, I don't have to create a mythology in my mind to understand it. I, I'm thankful to the scientists who figured it out, whereas they just were, if they were exposed to it, they were exposed to it. Yeah, good. Stevie and then Diane. Yeah, Joanna brought up again the, uh, the order of the terms, Abedecha and Amecha. Um, I'll just point out that in, uh, in verse 28, where... Avadecha comes first, it's just Avadecha or Beit Avadecha. Um, in verse 29, where it comes later, it's the whole Avadecha. Um, and I think that those are not necessarily, you know, synonymous groups, that it could be that your servants is, you know, mm. part of yours are close at hand. And whole Avadecha is a somewhat wider category and perhaps is wide enough to be after Avadecha. All the people who are subservient to you. Something like that. 
Um, for some reason, Tova, you couldn't be heard as well, so I'm just going to paraphrase what you said. Um, um, she was saying that it could be that that Rashi, you know, a millennium ago, um, you say you could say it better than I can. Can you paraphrase yourself, but speak louder into the microphone this time? I don't want to get you wrong. I was just saying that we don't fully appreciate to what degree people a millennium ago uh, would have felt more at the mercy and more incomprehending of natural phenomena that would have affected them much more nearly, and that they had beliefs about the human body and disease processes that would be fabulous to us now, uh, so that it probably was not as much of a stretch for them to try to understand what, what they were reading as it is for us now. Diane, and then we'll read verse, and we'll read the begin, the first verse of chapter eight of Shmot. Moving right along, folks. <laughs> so, so I was fascinated by this word, lekarker. Yes. I assume it's the infinitive. Yes. Um, because in Hebrew, uh, double, what, four letter roots that, repeat, that are repeated are often onomatopoeia words. Um, right. So, and it's translated by JPS as crow, which is not what we think about frogs doing. But the the online dictionary at least says the carcare is to crow, to cackle, to caw, to croak, which is colloquial, and to grumble as in one's stomach. Wow, so a stomach grumbling, whether or not there's a frog there, could be a, a mick carcare. Uh, my computer is going slow for a second. I wanted. I wanted to pull up how Jastro reads the verb, but let's have someone else talk while I'm pulling this up because it's going slow. Larry, were you going to say something? No, no. Well, whatever. Get your mic. I, I just, I just got it. I wanted to add to what Susan had said about the mosquitoes um, and that frog larva. Our tadpoles are polywogs. They're small and they live in water. And that gives them an opportunity to go lots of places. And, and, and if they cause disease like yellow fever or whatnot, then, then the, the grumbling, all, I was thinking about that earlier. I mean, all of that, whatever the illness is that they hear the grumbling of the frogs in the stomach, that, that grumbling is really a sickness. Yes. Being... On the on the verbal carcare. So Diane said uh, uh, well that sometimes four letter roots that are two letters twice, sometimes they're onomatopoeia. Um, and sometimes they are an intensification or an expansion of the initial two letter root. So this is I just now learned this word. Thank you, Jastro. Like today, I learned something. The first entry for the verb likarker, which is the PL form of it, is built from the word kir, which means wall. If you look at this at the screen to storm a wall or to batter to destroy. So likarker is to is to get that kir because a kir means a wall having nothing to do with um, an onomatopoeia, just the verb, the noun uh, um, kir. Uh, Second entry for Likarker, which apparently can also be spelled with a cuff, is to dance or to revel. Um, and then we have ours, the third one. Look what, look what Jastro says. Anomatopoeia, to cackle, to quack, to cry. And it's interesting that the, the, some of the examples given, um, that in our, in our Rashi, 
the ones doing the mikarkering are the frogs, but in at least one of the references here in Jastro, the Kaddish Baruch Hu, God is a is a mikarkerer. He's a cackler, uh, 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 you know, m- moaning for the for the for the people, almost laughing at them. Um, let's see one more thing, but it, I just lost it. Hold on one second. To cackle the pack. Um, I lost it. Um, okay, so today that today I learned that lekarkerer means to storm a wall. Um, let's go to chapter eight of the book of Exodus. And Alan, are you up for reading? Uh, let me take a pass today. Okay, Barry, do you want to read? Well, well let's get, get you a microphone, Barry. Agamin Vahal Ed Atspatim Al Eretz Misraim. Good. Before Barry translates, I'll just I'll let you all know that Rashi's quiet on this verse. And but the shift, and it's interesting where the Christian uh, distinctions of the chapters begin and end. This is now a shift from God telling um, Moses what Moses should tell Pharaoh about what God said about to happen to God actually telling Moses do it and and um, that's where the Christian we, it's for us it's in the middle of an aliyah but Christians say chapter 7 ends with what God told Moses to tell Pharaoh and now chapter 8 begins with God actually telling Moses to do it mm-hmm. or actually telling Moses to tell Aaron to do it okay translate so Adonai uh, says to Moshe say to Aharon uh, extend your hand with your rod over the rivers, over the streams, and over the lakes, and uh, bring up the frogs upon the land of Egypt. And frankly, I forgot about this verse last week as we were talking about Rashi's comment on Bayalu that it came up from the waters. Rashi has within the text later on the notion that where do the frogs come from? They come, Oleh, the Ha'al, to, to Ha'al is the causative of to go up, to bring something up. It's the he feel, he feel infinitive um, from all of the land of Egypt, but they're coming from the water. Okay. Um, that's the verse. Uh, I see Larry, I see Barry, and uh, let's see what you have to say or ask on it. Yeah. Doesn't speak so well for God. Because if you go back to verse 25, all right. Uh, 26, 27, sorry. God says to Moses to tell Pharaoh to mm. send my people to worship me, and if you refuse, send them off. Mm. And here, right away, he just tells tells Moses to tell Aaron to do the deed. Mm. There's nothing in here that suggests that he gave Pharaoh a chance. Mm. Interesting pickup. Thank you for that. Right, we 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 can resolve it with the nod and say that you know the Torah is terse and doesn't say everything except that midrash is built on the specificity of what is and is not there. So that's a good pickup, Barry. Uh, a little inconsistency initially. Extend uh, they're going to come up from the river, but uh, tell around uh, extend your hand uh, over the rivers, plural, over the streams and over the lakes, and the frogs will come up. From multiple locations. Right. In in the in verse 28, it's just the Yor, the Nile, which is swarming. We saw from a few years ago, a few verses ago with the blood, that whatever 
all the water in Egypt is related to the, the Nile, right? So if the, if the Nile is swarming, then they're all going to swarm. And in our verse here, rather than refer to the Yaor, the Nile, it refers to the, the, the smaller representations or tributaries of the water in, the, in Egypt, but not, not Yaor itself. And lakes. And lakes. Tova? Yeah, I actually wanted to com actually wanted to comment on that because uh, something came up last time that made me think of it. I think, in as much as we want to think about this as being historically accurate, that we've been tending to think of this happening on the Nile, and we think of the Nile as this long, you know, very narrow, fertile band with desert, you know, cliffs on each side. That is the vast portion of the Nile. But it's not the delta mm. and it's almost certainly the delta if there's any historicity here where this happened goshen was in the delta and in the delta the nile breaks into mm. depending on what period of history you're talking about anywhere from four to five to seven to eight branches mm. of large rivers and streams not to mention it's a marshy area it's a wet area uh there is some dryness still but it is it's quite different and that's more the setting we're talking about it and the image of the plague of the of the blood and of the frogs fits very well in that <coughs> that landscape and and so might the reference to nahar and and agam yeah. and and all these different collections Absolutely. right it's not it's not a single right. russian or not only a single rushing river but yeah. a, a wetlands almost it's a wetland yeah, yeah. norm and then Stu, Stu, was your hand up no <laughs> I, I think even farther south, the Nile, it floods. You may, it's like if you're at an auction, you could have um, just bought a painting, Stuart. Yeah. And, and there's a floodplain that is relatively fertile. And yes, it's narrow in the grand scheme of things where there's a whole lot of desert and then a narrow fertile area and then a whole lot of desert. But even farther south, there are places where there is some fertile land near the Nile. And sometimes that has... Um, you know, ponds, streams, what have you. Maybe even canals for, for uh, irrigation. irrigation. Um, a little birdie in Israel has told me on the Zoom that it might be worth uh, looking at Ibn Ezra. So let's look at Ibn Ezra, um, which I had not looked at on this verse yet today. Okay, so this is the Ibn Ezra. Vayomer neteyadcha. Al ruchot hashemayim. Extend your hands on the like the, the spirit, the winds of the of the heavens is probably some way of saying like the the you know the, the all all around the heavens. They will come up from the rivers, or or, or the canals, and the lakes below and not from all gatherings of water. Joel, what about I mean? Thank you. And what about that struck you as being particularly interesting? Well, it just answered the question I had, which was, how is he supposed to like extend his hands over all the waters of of, of all of Egypt? Uh -huh. So I think Ibn Ezra had the same problem. He says, no, he's not doing that directly. He's just putting his hands on the in the skies and I see. The right. So I mean, if you read the phrase Vayet Aharon Al, sorry, yeah, Vayet Nete Al Yadcha Al Naharot, like to to extend your hand on all of them, it would that be impossible to do? So he's Ibn Ezra saying he, he's pointing to the, the the watery heavens, and then it's going to make it come up from all those places. And interestingly, it's important for for Ibn Ezra to point out that unlike the blood, 
it didn't come from every droplet of water, which is different than those midrashim we saw, which said like every droplet of water, a frog appeared. Ibn Ezra wants to say that it's a little bit different than that. Joanna? I think Ibn Ezra is helpful because um, I think there's a possible read of this verse where you see all these places specified and you read this almost as an intensification of where this plague is going to affect because it's not just going to start in the Yaur, but also in all these other places. And even Ezra seems to be suggesting no, like it's a little bit less than what happened with the blood because from the Yaur it went everywhere. This is specifying the specific bodies of water where it will come from these and only these and not I more. See. Got it. Got it. Thank you for that, Joanna. Um, Okay, Rashi said nothing on that verse. Uh, mm -hmm. Last chance before we look at the next verse. Barry, you want to take another verse? Wait, hold on, microphone. I know, I know, it's frustrating. That's the Okay. Uh, Aaron extended his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frog, right, Larry, Larry, right, and covered the land of Egypt, uh, and and the frog emerged, and covered the land of Egypt. Right. So here's the verse from which Rashi, from which the Larry was referring to before, where all of a sudden you've got the image. <laughs> You got a single frog, right? Because um, we all have that. All languages can sometimes refer to a plurality of things using a singular noun, but we take the Torah uh, as telling us something very intentional. The first half of the phrase that Aaron did exactly as God told Moses to tell Aaron to do, and he extended his hand on the waters of Egypt, and Ibn Ezra would say, meaning he extended his hand upwards to the heavens so that the waters of Egypt would be smitten. And then literally the frog arose, Tzvardeh is a single frog, Ta'al is a singular feminine verb. And, and then the singular feminine noun form continues, Vatchas, and she, not that she was a feminine frog, just the word Tzvardeh is feminine, and she covered the land of Egypt, okay? So, what's that? Godzilla exactly, yeah, Godzilla frog, okay? Um, before we look at the Rashi that we already have, have sort of spoken about, anything about the verse jump out at anyone? Dova. I know this is way off topic, but I couldn't help noticing that uh, the instruction was that Aharon was supposed to take his staff in his hand and pull that out, what he described as he holds out his hand, and I couldn't help flashing back to the Soros that falls on Moshe when he strikes the rock and says, speaking to it with hmm. the implication that somehow it's his power rather than God's. But there's no commentary and no concern about what Aaron is doing here. <laughs> he did it wrong. That's <laughs> he forgot his staff and just like what 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 one little ribbit. Uh, it's a it, it's a wonderful comparison to Moshe and the rock. I hadn't thought about that. I, and I also had not paid attention to the fact that the instructions refer to the mate and he just uses his hand. Um, 
I need to go searching if anyone picks up on that. If not, like, like well done for the for the originality on it. Um, but even if someone picks up on it, there's no there's no repercussions to Aaron for doing it, except for, except for the fact that it's one frog. Barry. Well, uh, I, I, again, going back to how, how is this physically possible? Um, he extended his hand, one hand over the waters, all, all the waters of Egypt, you know, this is the rivers, the lakes, the streams, one hand over all the waters. How is that possible? So spiritually, I mean, uh, my daughter practices Reiki. In, in Reiki, you, you concentrate on extending your spiritual energy to some other location, to some other person or other people, and, uh, and, and it works. So uh, if, if you get into the belief of this, that, that indeed his, with his spiritual intention through God, raising the hand is now physically extended through hmm. all the waters of Egypt. Yeah, that, 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 that's enough to actually activate the system. Yeah. Rick and then Diane, I see Rick's hand. Yeah, um, just going off with Tova and uh, Sue uh, uh, playing with just the yard. So, yeah, it looks like Aaron just brought up one frog and you go to the next sentence and that's where all the other frogs come from. So there you go. Meaning one frog in verse two and, and actually the swarm of frogs came from the heart. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> it's, it's like we psyched Pharaoh out like, no, it's, it's just one little frog. You know? And then and they overreacted by, by oh, we could do that, too. It's so it's so easy to turn this into a comedy, right? Uh, which is which is clearly not, but it, it, you really can. I think I once told you the story. I told some of you the story in, in a different context, perhaps, of when I did a when I was living in Monroe and I did a bibliodrama training with Peter Pizzoli, who was the inventor of the of the craft, and it was an interfaith bibliodrama training. So it was me and a couple of Jewish educators, and then catechism teachers in the Midwest who had heard about this because this was taking place in at St. Thomas University in, in St. Paul, Minnesota. Yeah. Um, right. St. Paul, before we knew each other. Um, and first of all, it's fascinating. I've told this story many times that that bibliodrama is is basically a way of doing in real time modern midrash, which is awkward for for religious Jews because we feel like only Chazal, only the sages could really do midrash. Who are we to do midrash? It's awkward for Christian educators for a different reason. They have no history of midrash, and they have no history of what's between the text, and they have no history of imagining J Jesus saying or thinking anything other than what is said explicitly in the gospel. So that was fascinating. They they were so amazed at our ability to be free and creative and imagining because for them what the word is the word right but the second thing that was fascinating we at one point we were doing a bibliodrama on the book of jonah they could not believe that we read the book of jonah at the midpoint of our most sacred and solemn day of the year because in in the christian schools the book of jonah is like pinocchio is yeah it's it's like a it's like a, it's a it's a biblical comedy almost right with a serious theme but it it it, it reads to them as funny Whereas it reads to us, maybe because of when we read it, as solemn, right? So parts of it are funny, but we're trained to not think of it that way, right? And parts of this are now funny, even though we read it. I mean, people are suffering as a result of this, but it's but you can so quickly get to the the, the unintentional comedy of it. I see a bunch of hands. Rebecca, is that, that already calling you? Okay, Diane, Rebecca, 
Uh, Norm, were you done, Rick, or did I stop you? Uh, no, one more on unclus. If it helps with the singular or the plural, it looks the same word to me. Or de anya. Um, yeah, single. That's one frog. Oh, well, then yeah. at the end of 29, it's or de anya. Isn't that also? And then in verse one, verse two, verse three, it's all or de anya. Is there another form that I'm missing? Um, maybe the singular is Urda Anna and the plural is Urda Anya. I have to, I have to look that up. Um, what you're right about and a quick look is that every time Uncle seems to say the word, it's the same form of it. I need to look up, um, while Diana's talking, I'll see if I can find that in Jasho. So I want to make that point, but not in Hebrew and English, which is if we said the deer rose up. We really don't know whether it was one deer or multiple deer. Right. So it kind of depends on language, I guess. The other thing is, Barry, you read May May as waters, all of the waters. But the truth is, Mayim in Hebrew is a, is a plural noun mm. always. Mm. So it doesn't actually necessarily mean all of the waters. It can just mean water. It's just, it's a language function. Great. And, 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 and that language and that many languages have this notion of a singular word representing a plural and the reverse right? pants right is one pair um or uh it's not coming if it's up, like plural everywhere then it it was a mistranslate or a i don't know there's a I don't know about the Hebrew, but it looks, the Aramaic looks all the same. Who was the last one with their hand up in the room? Rebecca. We'll end with Rebecca, and then next week, Larry will have the great joy of reading the Midrash that he leapfrogged to before. Okay. If it, uh, if it was a single frog, I looked up, and the largest frog in the world is the African Goliath frog. Yeah, it's called a Goliath frog? Oh, yes. And Maximum, a North Egyptian Goliath frog. <laughs> and the maximum body length, not even counting the leg stretching out, the body length is 15 inches. So you can imagine if, uh, if they saw a, a large uh, frog that size, they could have been so stunned and started hallucinating and seeing them all over. So, yeah, 15 inches. That's pretty big. Uh, let, let's um, end with this because I found Jastro's answer. So, thank you for that comment, Rick. According to Jastro, and I, and I trust Jastro, um, the singular for frog is Urdaan or Urdaana, a male or female, female frog. But Orda Anaya with the Yud is plural, which means that Jastro is rejecting the Goliath frog theory and translates even Hatsfardea the way we would nominally translate deer if we knew there were more than one, right? Right. Uh, okay, Norm. I'm, I'm seeing that the important thing about Aaron stretching his hand is that nobody took offense at it. God doesn't later say, oh, we're going to punish you for this or that. Um, that as a result of which the rabbis don't find the need to explain it. Uh -huh. Maybe they're assuming the hand had the rod. I see the rod as being in this case like a baton. Right. He's a director. He points to this area and those waters start giving us frog and another direction those waters do. And so it goes. 
and she's sort of a conductor and bringing frogs up all over the place. And it's apparently not such a great miracle as we'll find in a couple of verses. Like the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which will also come back to us next week in the Rashi. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.